What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. And now, are you effing kidding me with JoJo from Juries? Another week, another court appearance for the melted circus peanut that is Donald Trump. It's getting so that we can pretty much set our watches to this stuff by now. But it should come as no surprise that the cult is digging in more than ever. Predictably, right? I mean, Donald Trump lied about the money his father left him. He lied about his bone spurs, his SATs, about graduating at the top of his class at Wharton, about his charity, the value of his properties, about where his father was born, about where Barack Obama was born. He lied about helping at Ground Zero, about paying a porn star hush money, lied about his wife being a genius, about the existence of COVID, about having COVID, about voter fraud in the 2020 election, about a perfect phone call, about January 6th, and about the mountains of classified documents piled up in his bathroom. He lies about being a family man, about being religious, about supporting the troops and putting America first. He paints himself orange to look healthy. He wears lifts in his shoes to look taller. And he has a 14-step comb-over to look like he has a fuller head of hair. The guy is a Russian nesting doll of lies. But when you ask MAGA who they trust above all else, more than their friends, family, conservative media, religious leaders, more than their own eyes and ears, they say they trust Trump. And that is how you know it's a cult. A cult today's guest knows all too well. Rick Wilson is a renowned political strategist, infamous ad maker, writer, speaker, and political commentator, and co-founder of The Lincoln Project, a political action committee whose goal it is to hold accountable those who would violate their oaths to the Constitution and would place their loyalty to others before their loyalty to the American people and democracy. Donald Trump made allies of a lifelong Republican like Rick and a staunch Democrat like me. Rick wrote the book, Everything Trump Touches Dies, and Lordy, was he right about that. And without further ado, let's get to the episode. Enjoy. Hey there, Rick. Welcome to Are You Effing Kidding Me? Thank you so much <laughs> for being here. That is. I'm delighted to be with you. I'm so excited to have this conversation with you. I mean, I, I was just telling you sort of off camera that, that going way back to the before times, um, I got to meet you at a pre Ferrara event, and I also was at the first the at the Lincoln Project event at Cooper Union, and that was an incredible event. And you gave an incredible speech, and uh, you know you made a big impact in the 2020 election, in my opinion. So thank well, you. Well, Donald for that. Trump and you agree on one thing at least: because he, <laughs> he blames us. So yeah, uh, I mean, it, it, there's it, loss. Yeah. I love that too. That you're just like, hi, Donald. It's us, but it did. It. I believe it. It made a, an impact on on the outcome of that election. I think that the, you know, there were people who maybe were on the fence, if that's possible, at the time. And and your videos, your content, 
uh, might have helped, and I think it did, help move them away from him. Look, we understood that from the very beginning of LP that there was a segment of American voters who we were very familiar with, and those were moderate suburban Republicans and conservative-leaning independents. And, and a lot of folks um, to this, in the Never Trump segment in 2020 particularly, and even, even now, they're like, we're going to save the party. We're going to pull it back from Trump. We're going we're gonna to trick them into... And our, our objective was not to try to trick them. We told them, like, look, you're going to make a morally difficult decision. We're going to help you. We're going to show you the context of what your decision means for yourself, your family, the future of the country. And and we did, we did you know, uh, we did very, very good advertising. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I mean, false modesty is the worst kind. I'm pretty good at the advertising part. Stuart Stevens, pretty good at the advertising part. We kind of know what we're doing. We do great messaging and narrative setting. And those things help persuade a group that in 2020 depending on the state, was between 3 and 8% of the of the Republican voter population. We moved them in our states, oddly enough, on average, about 4.6%. Mm. Now, that made a difference for Joe Biden in places you know that, that he would have lost, we think, otherwise. That amazing thing is the work we've done has expanded that voter pool. It's now between, depending on the states, 7 and 11% of the Republican voter pool. And it's probably going to be higher by the time we get done with impeach or indictment Palooza uh, <laughs> with Trump, because there is a fraction of the Republican base that will never leave him. It's a large fraction, but there's also a, a, a group of voters that we know how to talk to, and and we've done a we've done a pretty good job of talking to for the last three and a half years of explaining to them that you know you don't have to accept the moral compromise of Trump. You don't have to believe that the only solution out there is either Trump or, or some imaginary demon like communism or Antifa or whatever, um, it, because it's not. Joe Biden's pretty, pretty center-left, moderate president overall. I mean, my, our progressive friends are not always thrilled with Joe Biden because of that. Yeah. But, but he was the guy who could beat Trump in 2020 in that field. Um, and look, I, I, for all my Bernie bro friends, if it had been Bernie, he would have lost 44 states. <laughs> and, and Biden could pick the lock. And he did. And and I think that he's got a, a really good chance of, of being reelected in 2024. Um, it's going to take a lot of work. There are no room. There's no room for error or mistakes or complacency. Um, but this isn't this is a this is a really challenging, thrilling, uh, terrifying uh, moment we're coming up on because, you know, and this is tough love. God love my friends, the Democratic Party. Y'all can y'all can screw up a two car motorcade <laughs> when it comes to politics. And 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 while Biden had ran an excellent campaign in twenty and has has got a good campaign together now, um, you know the role the Lincoln Project will continue to play in this in this ecosystem. We'll go out and be the tip of the spear and blow up the bad guys. We'll yeah. go out and be the uh, and be the the leading edge of fighting to both set a narrative politically and to disrupt the other team. And and look, I, the fact that I have a rent-free lease in Trump's head um, is a weird place to be, but it's also one that I'm happy to 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 continue to exploit for uh, for the purposes of wrecking his shit and helping democracy. Yeah, I'm on board with all of that, and I have a lot of follow-up questions on the Trump issue. But I wanted to, before we get to Trump, I wanted to talk about Ron DeSantis. Okay, because how would you describe what? is happening with his campaign right now like is implosion too kind a word no actually uh, implosion 
it, think of it more as um, uh, a volcano made of burning tires, and the top of the volcano um, is a is a pyramid of burning dumpsters. And each moment of the day, a bus full of clowns crashes into the pyramid of burning dumpsters on top of the mountain of burning tires. That's Ron DeSantis's campaign right now. They are spending basically a million plus dollars a week. They are losing about 1.25 points of favorability every single week. He's on the campaign trail. I said this to a lot of people back in November of 2021. Somebody asked me about Ron DeSantis running. I said, yeah, he's going to win the Florida governor's race. No, no problem. He's going to win. It's Florida. It's my home state. I, I, I helped build the machine that was going to elect the guy. Um, but I said at the time, he is the most overrated stock in American politics. And and in my role as Rick Stradamus, predictor of the future, um, I, I, I have a weirdly bad, a really, really frighteningly good track record of predicting the bad things that Republicans are going to do. Um, but I told people, I said, listen, he is going to raise a lot of money for the governor's race. He's going to try to transfer it over to his presidential, which he's done. Mm-hmm. And I said, and he's bait for the elite Republican donor class. Who are these people? They're much more liberal than the MAGA base. They tend to be pro-choice. They tend to be more moderate. They tend to be corporate. They're hedge fund guys. They're private equity guys. They're oil and gas energy executives. They're tech bros from the from Silicon Valley. And DeSantis having two Ivy League degrees, just ask him, he'll tell you. Um, <laughs> it's the worst cliche about the guy. His chip on his shoulder is so enormous that he's like, by the way, did you know I went to both Harvard and Yale? <laughs> I graduated from both Harvard and Yale. Yeah. I'll tell you a quick story because it, it 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 puts him in context. Before he ran for governor the first time, he was going to go see a, a private equity guy that I know and I've done work with in the past. And the guy says, what do you think of DeSantis? And I'd met Ron a couple of times at this point. He's still a congressman. I'm like, he's a backbencher, you know, smart guy, I guess. You know, I don't know him really well. I said, but but he's got one quirk. I said, every time he, you you meet the guy, uh, he's going to mention Harvard and Yale. He's going to mention them like a hundred times that he played baseball and he went to Harvard and Yale. And so my friend sits with him and Ron DeSantis out the stack. And he sits down, he's like, as you know, I went to Harvard and Yale. And he says that like three times. And then my friend goes, Ron, I want you to know I went to Harvard and Yale. And I got my PhD from Stanford. And he said, you could see the guy's brain go, like the gears locked up in his head. Because all of a sudden, his like bullshit meritocracy signifier had gotten called by somebody who's actually more accomplished. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Ah. The comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car selling command center. Thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place.
he had a very easy race for governor the first time because God love Andrew Gillum, but everybody knew what Andrew Gillum was in the state of Florida. They knew that this was an illusion. He was not the next Barack Obama. He, he, he was a guy with a lot of personal problems and those played out. And, 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 and Gillum misread the state of Florida. He said, well, it's all like Miami. It's all like South Florida. It's all like the progressive blue parts. Everything north of I-4 in Florida, folks, Democrats north of I-4 in Florida are like Republicans in Northern Virginia. Okay, they, they're they they're much more, they're, they're not the same people you think they are on paper. So Gillum lost. It was an easy race for DeSantis to win, but he only won by 66,000 votes. Sec second time around, he outspends his opponent by like 25 to 1. Um, the Democrats foolishly named Charlie Crist, a guy who I've known since the 80s, I'm that old. Um, I'm 60 years old in November, and, and in politics years, that's like, being a billion years old i mean no one survives in this in this in this industry as long as like Stuart stevens and i have because we're both like uh, uh we're like the fourth generation of people coming up behind us in politics normally people last five or six years they're out you know yeah. they don't want to do it all their lives anyway long story short DeSantis runs the second time charlie christ is a former republican so republicans hate him he's a former republican so democrats hate him <laughs> He's, he's a guy who's been on every side of every issue, so ideologues on every side of every issue hate him. And, you know, he he gets outspent a zillion to one. DeSantis has this massive statewide machine that the Republican Party in the state has built up over 30, 35 years um, at his disposal, and he wins by 19 points. And the question wasn't, oh, how did he win by 19 points? The question really was, why didn't he win by 29 points? He crushed every every metric but he's not a likable guy in fact he's like the least likable yeah. person i've met in politics in my life and i worked for rudy fucking giuliani <laughs> okay i mean he he's 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 profoundly like he sets people off in a way that i have never seen before and it's partly the chip on his shoulder yeah. and it's partly the contempt for people around him and it's partly the sort of weirdly insular you know, brain space he has about about that that no one rivals him in some weird way. And I got to tell you, look, he's from he's from a town called Dunedin, Florida, and and it's right across Tampa Bay. And I'm born in Tampa. I'm I'm like ten years older than DeSantis, right? Um, he is a guy who was born in a very good you know middle class family. His mom was a nurse, and his dad was a, installed cable boxes. This wasn't they weren't living in poverty. They weren't living in a ditch somewhere, but neither were they, you know, elite by any standard. They were a classic American middle-class success story. Smart kid gets into an Ivy. This, this should have been something that made him feel grateful and, and happy and fulfilled. But instead he hates being reminded where he's from. He hates being reminded, you know, what he, what he, what, what kind of life he came from. And he wants to live the private jets, beautiful life, elite, you know, all the elite signifiers. And he's just a regular guy from Tampa. He's smart. Okay, he's from Dunedin. He's smart. He's not a stupid guy. But he's but he's allowed this ambition. And that partly comes from his campaign manager, uh, Casey. Um, <laughs> because if anybody thinks it's not Casey running oh, the yeah. entire thing, you're out of your mind. Yeah. Um, her political instincts are about as sharp as chef's kiss right there. Um, Another fashion sense. I mean, look, 
Those eyebrows. Oof. Oh, my God, I just, wait, I'm just going to interrupt you for one second because Rachel Vindman said that her eyebrows were a cautionary tale in microblading, and I've never, ever been able to see it. <laughs> Sorry. I love it, Rachel. She owns it. She said it. Sorry, go ahead. I love back, Rachel. Back to but... Casey being his game. No, but, 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 and they, they, they made a bet because, look, when Ron DeSantis was in Congress, he was kind of a Paul Ryan backbench guy. He wasn't a, he wasn't a hair on fire evangelical or a culture warrior mm-hmm. or, or, or even much of like a tea party guy. Mm-hmm. He was a constitutional guy and a bit boring, a bit boring. But they got in bed with Christina Pushaw, mm-hmm. who is the, his troll in chief, um, and got and bought in fully on this incredibly hostile culture war thing where the real danger to Florida wasn't, um, it wasn't you know anything material it was drag queens and 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 books about rosa parks because she was an activist and we can't have that you know so we've got a guy who's now gone so far over the cliff with book banning with with you know saying that drag shows are the equivalent of uh, of of open pornography all these things and look people should raise their kids like they want to raise their kids okay I, I, and 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 the idea that you go to war with Disney because Disney makes a single critique of a bill that you have that you know what the outcome is going to be. It's going to be every Karen in Florida is going to get every book that they don't like banned. And they've done it. Yeah. They've done it. And 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 the, the you know, the don't say gay bill is a scarlet letter on Ron DeSantis. He knows how badly it played, but he decided to plow through. He decided to sort of like shove himself through it. Never say, never back down. Well, <clears throat> you know, even when it pulled badly, they never backed down. And so even when he, he discovered that the six-week abortion ban, I I know for a fact his pollsters went to him when they did the six-week abortion ban and begged him not to sign it. They're like, this polls like 82 to 8. No, don't do this. Yeah. Even Republican women especially affluent Republican women in Florida, were like 80-20 against it. It was just bad business. But he did it. He plowed through with it. He's bought into this idea that the culture war is the one winning thing in American politics. And over time, what we've learned about culture wars on both sides, in both state and federal races, and both and, and, and local and national, is that the side that is perceived to have overreached is the side that loses. And so in Kansas and in Ohio, when they overreached on on in the post-Dobbs environment, they got their asses handed to them. Well, now he's overreaching on, uh, especially on LGBT issues. Mm-hmm. And that overreach has cost him politically. I mean, when you look at the numbers, the, the astounding figure. In our survey a year and a half ago against Trump, Ron DeS- Trump was at 50 and Ron DeSantis was at 36. You look at it now, and Trump's at 56, and Ron DeSantis is at eight. The guy has the guy has managed to do the, the miracle of all political miracles. He's spent money to lose position. And and for the for the fact that he had, you know, 80 million bucks in the bank when he started and he's got like 30 now, that's the worst ROI, unless you're secretly working for Joe Biden, that I've ever seen in my life. I mean you couldn't make a campaign suck more than no. theirs has so far. 
it's amazing that he's more dislikable than Ted Cruz because something you told me, I remember, never forgot it, was that the worst kept secret in Washington, D.C. is that everyone fucking hates everyone Ted Cruz. Hate, even Ted Cruz hates Ted Cruz half the time. <laughs> yeah. So that Ron DeSantis is more dislikable really is telling. But it's amazing to me, too, because it was almost as if it's still almost as if someone handed him a checklist, a checklist of what not to do. You say yourself he had the support of that wing of the party that has a lot of money. And he was like, just I'm just going to shit it into the wind and throw roll the dice on doing this thing that no one thinks I should do. And there's no lane for me there. I'm going to run this culture war shit that Trump has basically cornered the market on. And that's going to be my ticket. And it's, right. in, it's, it's, I mean, his political, I've heard, and Ron uh, Filipowski told me this, and I'm sure you would tell me this too, that he is notorious, infamous for not listening to any other outside nope. advice. From it's him. Casey and no one else. And, and look, when you have a spouse who can give good advice, you have in politics a nuclear bomb, okay? Yeah. It's one of the greatest assets you can possibly have. My old boss, George Herbert Walker Bush, had a spouse. Barbara Bush could give political advice. She understood the chemistry of people. Um, and and I've seen this with with candidates in the past. And and when they have someone who, who they can trust and who has good instincts, it's an enormous asset. When they don't, like Melania, you know, who who's basically like stands behind Trump, shows up for whatever the metrics are in her in her prenup that she has to do X number <laughs> of appearances per year, um, but the rest of the time she's back behind him, like looking like, I will go to Home Depot and buy a shovel now. Bearing you will be my greatest pleasure. Sorry, that's more of like a Natasha Badenoff voice, but close enough. No, I do a I do a very bad Melania too. So very, yes, I understand. Yeah. Yes, yes. Donald, I am going to have margaritas. I'm going to go dream about Justin Trudeau, <laughs> <laughs> who is now divorced because he's gay. Go to Barbie movie, obviously make him gay. <laughs> okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. We're in a world where where the Republican primary is is realistically it's a lot of folks in the media who would love to have a horse race and 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 that's just a natural instinct that's 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 what political media is about they want to cover a race they want to cover a contest but as i say you know you can't make a horse shit into a horse race right. there's no there there this right. is not 
there, there, there's, there's just not a, a, a contest there in the, in the traditional sense. So all these kabuki dance things that are going on with the debates and the, and the various spritzing back and forth until one of these guys is posting up in the thirties against Trump routinely in multiple early states. It's not a race and none of them are or can. Chris Christie and Will Hurd and and some of these other folks that are all trying to make a you know make their way onto the debate stage and have some some catalyzing moment with 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 Republican primary voters. I'm I'm sorry, but you know the Republican base is not the old Republican base. The Republican base used to be comprised of of, of a few groups that everybody used to sort of understand inside the Republican world. There were the foreign policy conservatives. There were the fiscal conservatives, economic growth types, you know, free market types. And there were the evangelicals. Mm-hmm. Well, the old, uh, the evangelicals are there. They won the culture war inside the party. They're, so they're still there, and they are with Trump lock solid. I mean, Mike Pence is, at, is 26 points underwater in his fave on fave with, with Republican voters. And it's worse with evangelicals. That was his. That was his world. Those were his people. I mean, yeah. So, uh, so, you know, you have no traction from any of these guys. You know, the Republican voters are not crying out for Chris Christie to <laughs> uh, to take the to take the reins of the party. Um, even the people that are fantasizing, like, oh, well, maybe Glenn Youngkin will get in. Let me tell you something, folks. I'm an anthropologist at Republican base. I, I've been around it my entire, literally, my entire life since I was a child. <laughs> I am. I am. It's. It's. They hate me because I come from the cult, and I, yeah. I know exactly what they're thinking all the time. The people that believe that Glenn Youngkin, that the Republican base is crying out for a private equity guy who's secretly liberal with a sweater vest. <laughs> I, I mean, if you believe that, I have. I have a degree from Trump University to sell you because that is just bonkers. That is just insanity. Um. So look, he has the nomination. Um, we're going to go through this kabuki dance for the next, you know, uh, three and a half months, four months. And when he wins with the first few primaries and even if he loses Iowa, cause you know, look who, who's won Iowa in the past, Ted Cruz, yeah. not Cruz president, Rick. Rick Santorum, not president, <laughs> you know, Pat Robertson years oh, ago, not president on and on. You can go way back. Yeah. The, 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 the Iowa caucus is not representative. But as Trump rolls up these early states, and he's as he starts winning the big states, and look, Ron DeSantis is twenty five points behind Donald Trump in Florida. If you're not going to win your home state, you're done. What are you doing? Ron DeSantis is going to place fourth in South Carolina or fifth, maybe. Nikki Haley is going to place a distant, distant second to Donald Trump in her own home state. None of this is going to matter in the end. And so, you know, I tell Democrats this all the time. I'm like. Get your heads on straight. Don't expect miracles. Expect work. We have a lot of work ahead in the next 450, I think it's 450 today, 450 days. We have a lot of work to do because if you think that Trump's going to be in jail or if you think somebody's going to rise up in the Republican Party and, and take him out, again, that's just, that's magical thinking. Hope is not a strategy in politics. No, definitely not. And and I wanted to touch on that Republican feels for one second because you you mentioned Chris Christie, of course, and because it's personal for me with Chris Christie, because that's my former governor, and I've got lots mm-hmm. of thoughts on the subject. Um, I, you know, at one time after Sandy, I was a big Chris Christie fan. I thought, sure. you know, right? So we all know Chris Christie's journey, but I'm curious 
about what Chris Christie's calculations are right now, because I'm out there saying, calling him on his shit every day and trying to, well, I don't know, just make him own what he's done. But he's obviously not going to make any headway in the party. He's obviously not really going to land any blows. He's going to get some viral moments from these debates where he takes Ron DeSantis, sure. as John Fugelsang said last night, and picks him up and starts hitting the other candidates on the stage with Ron DeSantis' lifeless body. Like, this is what Chris Christie's going to have a viral moment doing. What? what what's, the, what's the long game? Beyond that, what? There, there's, there's no there there. Yeah. Look, uh, Christie is doing this. In my opinion, I haven't talked to him. I don't. I don't. I, but but I, I understand the psychology of these people a lot. <laughs> the two reasons you run for president: one is you have something to say, to clarify who you are, and why you would be a great leader, and that is a very addictive thing. Mm-hmm. The only cure for running for wanting to be president is death. <laughs> Once you're president, you want to be president again. Again, the only cure for the for that disease is death. Um, but in Christie's case, he is trying to expiate the sins of the last six or seven years. Remember, Chris Christie uh, served as a foil for Trump in the 2016 debates. He knew exactly what he was doing. He was very clear when he took out Marco what he was doing. He that that was that was with an expectation. I believe that Trump was going to say, "Oh, will you be a great attorney general?" Now, that was never going to happen because of the long-running Jared Christie issues because Christie put Jared's dad in jail. Yeah. But, so now he's trying to sort of expiate those sins. He's trying to to, to, to to do some sort of penance so he can get his public image back, so he can be the guy who was the who was the truth teller in the end. And, and if lightning strikes and something happens, maybe that's great. But he... I don't think he really has a political plan to become president. I think he has a plan to go out there and make a big splash in the media. And look, his primary constituency right now are bookers in the Acela Corridor. He's a guy who's very comfortable on TV. He's very good on TV, frankly. Yeah. Um, And he's not stupid. He's another one of these guys who's not stupid. But he made a very poor decision by backing Trump. And look, let's remember, during the Trump administration... Chris Christie was a reliable supporter of Donald Trump on the Sunday shows and in public events and in public statements where he would defend Trump from from damn near anything. Mm-hmm. So I think it's important to remember that that he's not coming into this. He wasn't sitting there seething since the end of 2016 going, I'll, I'll get him someday. <laughs> um, he knew that he knew what he did. And he's tried to stay in Trump's good graces for a long time, I think, because he wanted to be A.G., yeah, and he and he ate the meatloaf. And when he ate the meatloaf, for me, yep. that was that was the end. And and I think he thought mm-hmm. he was, you know. And Trump eats smarter men than he up for meatloaf dinner because he gets his jollies, you know, making smarter men than him be, bow down. Listen, to him. listen. He he. There's nothing Trump loves more than the humiliation of people who think, um, who think less of him, who think they're his betters. He loves humiliating people. To a degree that is, I mean, it borders it borders on uh, on almost like a like a fetish for the guy. He loves to to try to 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 check people and put people down so that he can maintain, you know, a social or political or interpersonal position over them. So that brings me to this question about Trump. It's like the one I've wanted to ask you for the longest time, and I know it's going to sound basic, but here it is because I don't understand it. 
I don't understand what they're afraid of. Why does a Chris Christie or a Marco Rubio or a Lindsey Graham who said, I'm out, I'm done, and then wasn't, what is it? Is it Trump? Is it that person? It's the base. It's the it's base. It's just the base. What's the fear there? That be, they get, death, into, they get, they death, get into primary? Death, death is the fear. <laughs> death, death is the number one fear. And I'm not exaggerating. So back in 17, I still had a lot of Republicans in Congress that I was friends with, that I had helped, um, that I had advised, that I, that I had relationships with. And one by one by one, they'd go out and do their town hall meetings at first. And they, and they, they, they kept hearing a very, I told, talked about this in my first book, they kept hearing a variation on this theme that somebody would say, are you going to be with Trump 100% of the time? And if they said the right thing, like, no, you know what? I want to support Donald Trump. I backed him in the campaign. I want to work with him on regulatory and tax cuts and this and that. It didn't matter. If you didn't say, I will always do everything Trump wants 100% of the time. I will never think for myself. <laughs> Even if, it, you know, if Trump wants to put a nuclear waste dump in a kindergarten in our district, I'm going to say yes, because that's Trump. And the people that are, that are at the Trump base are comfortable with threats and comfortable with with the promise of violence, and they proved it over and over again. We've seen it over and over again in small scale and in large scale. And on January 6th, there was a real moment for the Republican Party to say, fuck this, we're done. No more. That's it. We're disqualifying this guy forever. We're getting him out. We're going to cut him off. We're going to we're gonna we're gonna end this movement, and we're gonna take a we're gonna take a hard hit for it, but it's worth it because it's the right thing to do because it gets back to the traditional belief in American the the American Republic and American democracy, and they couldn't do it. They're afraid, they're afraid of him primarying them, and then they should be because you know you gotta Trump would Trump would much sooner lose a seat if it hurt a legitimate Republican that opposed him. Right. I mean, that, that's that's just the truth. I mean, look, I mean, you saw that way back in 2017 in Alabama. You know, they backed Roy fucking Moore. And for all their obsession with, oh, the pedophiles are coming, <laughs> Roy Moore was a legit fucking creeper. Mm -hmm. And and they went down there with all guns blazing trying to get this guy elected, and they could have easily held the seat. Now, look, they got it back over time because it's Alabama. Mm -hmm. But at the end of the day, they fear... Elected Republicans fear and loathe the Republican base in a in a degree that would shock you. Because let's look at the House caucus for a second. <laughs> round number it and say there's 200 Republicans in the House caucus, just for round number's sake right now. Um, about 60 or 70 of them are actual crazy people, <laughs> are actual cuckoo pants, lunatic nut jobs. Lauren Boebert, Andy Biggs, Paul Gosar, you know, uh, Marjorie Three Toes, all the, the weirdos, right? Matt Gates. Well, you know, I'm going to put Matt in a different category because okay. Matt is actually smart. Okay, mm -hmm. don't underestimate Matt Gates. He's smart. Mm -hmm. Matt is using this to get famous. Yeah, that's all he wants to be. He wants to be famous. He wants to be Tucker Part Two yeah. or Governor of Florida. He's going to get one of those jobs mm -hmm. at the end of this thing. Mm -hmm. Um, so, but uh, but the rank and file. The Kevin McCarthy's they they may bow to the mob and they they do all the time, but they are terrified of of the Trump base. They don't want to be those people. They 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 would love an exit ramp. They're not going to take it unless everybody else does at the same time. And Trump is dead, 
and they've proven that the body's been dismembered and that the dismembered parts were eaten by wolves and then the wolves were killed and put in a concrete vessel and the concrete vessel was sunk into the bottom of the, of the Atlantic Ocean. They're so, they're so terrified of the word Trump. You wake them up out of a sound sleep and say Trump and they'll pee themselves. They're so scared. But, you know, this is a party that is fully compromised and, they, and, it, and as of right now, it cannot be saved. Welcome to Fail Better, David Duchovny's new podcast with Lemonada Media. On Fail Better, David, who has experienced both low and high-profile failures throughout his life, explores the vast world of failure, how it holds us back, propels us forward, and ultimately shapes our lives. Each week, he'll chat with guests like Ben Stiller, Bette Midler, and more about how our perceived failures have actually been our biggest catalysts for growth, revelation, and even healing. Through these conversations, he hopes listeners can learn how to embrace the opportunity of failure and fail better together. Fail Better is out now wherever you get your podcasts. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. I was going to ask you that. I have two parts to this follow-up because I want to ask you that at the, on the other side of the first part. Okay. Right, which is... To what end? Because, yes, they're afraid that they'll get primary. They'll get primary. Yeah, they'll probably lose their primary if they go up against Trump. But then why are they doing any of Why are they even, other than Matt Gates wanting to get famous or Marjorie Taylor Greene wanting to, I don't know, uh, kill babies. I really don't know what, not kill babies, kill dogs, puppies. I don't know, something evil. But, like, what, if there's no path for them to move further in a political way and then they're not getting any of the actual things they may believe, if they have any beliefs, what what is what is it that it represents to them? Just just a lack of access to power? I don't even understand it. So, when Trump was elected in twenty at the end of twenty sixteen, there were a lot of Republican lobbyists in D.C. who were there from the Bush era, not only W. but from Bush forty one. My 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 first start in this whole shenanigan, and these people were like. You, you, we're going to try to put mature people around Trump. We're going to try to to give him paths to do the right thing. We're going to try to make sure that we don't we don't isolate him so that he will do stupid things. We're going to try to convince smart people around him to do the smart things. And they learned there is no way that grownups get in the room. There's no way that the that the that the, that the, that the grownups win. Yeah. Um, and so they just gave up. It's all transactional. It's all about, do I get my tax cuts? Do I get my money? Do I mean, one of the people who wrote the 2017 tax bill is, is somebody I've known for 20 years, 25 years. And I asked them at the time, I'm like, so you hate Trump. You hate him with the passion of a burning sun. Why are you doing this? And said to me, you know what? First off, I, I'm a lobbyist. I've got clients. I got to do this for my clients. Um, and second off, I might as well get something out of this. Mm -hmm. And yeah, they got a beach house out of it or whatever. 
some giant bonus, whatever. But that transactional nature of DC is a is a really pernicious and dangerous aspect of this entire question because when people when people make moral justifications for doing immoral things, they always sort of oh well if if it wasn't me, somebody worse would have done it. If I don't do it, you know, it, it could be a, a much ter- more terrible outcome. I can steer the ship in the right direction. And I, I wrote an op-ed in the Washington Post in 2017. I said, if you, um, if you are working for Trump, it's time to quit. This is after he fired Comey, and we sort of knew where the things were going to all go. And I had a lot of my friends inside who were like, I have to stay. I can, I can fix it. I can, I can save this thing. I can turn it around. I can, can and no one. It's all, it's all, it's all just self-serving nonsense. But there are a lot of people in the Republican Party who believe in that self-serving nonsense. They think they're the one um, who can swing a deal. They're the one who can convince him to do the right thing. They're the one who can, who can you know, like get their fingerprints on something good from him for once. And it's just, it's, it's an impossibility. But there's also a very dangerous part of the Republican Party. And, and, and the Democratic Party is not immune to this, to this phenomenon. Of political tribalism, where you, you know, oh God, if I ever violate the tribe, I'm I'm thrown out into the cold, and they're not even wrong. It, it's real. Trust me. I I trust me. I know. <laughs> yeah. You know, I went I went from being a guy who had parties with like 250 people at my house to like literally one of my best friends in the world for a long time said to somebody like, I, yeah, I've met Rick Wilson. I don't really know him that well. I'm like, motherfucker, I helped you move three times. <laughs> wow. You know, but. But that tribalism is very scary for them. Most people do not have the the means and the and the mental strength to do it. Most people don't have the the ability to say, you know what? I know this sucks. I know it's going to cost me a lot of money. I know it's going to be terrible. But I'm not going to play this game anymore. I'm going to get. I'm going to liberate myself from from this from this mess. And they just can't do it. Most people just can't do it. It's really sad because, I mean, President Biden said that groups of Republicans have come to him in private and told him they agree with things that he's doing, but they can't yeah. say it publicly. And it just makes me as, you know, as a person who fundamentally believes in and and and, and loves, you know, this country and in the democracy in this country, mm-hmm. like it makes me so angry because it's such cowardice. And it's like, what are you doing there? But the other side of the question I wanted to get to was, is there a Republican Party on the other side of Donald Trump? What does it look like mm-hmm. if, if it is? So I have good news and bad news. Mm-hmm. America needs a center-right party. Okay, I don't want us to be a one-party state. Right? I think that the one one-party states tend to fall into very bad places, whether they're right or left. Mm-hmm. They they tend to exceed their their ambit. Um, I think we need a center-right party that believes in the Constitution and the rule of law and individual liberty, and 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 you know, free markets and, and, and decency and respect and honor. And man, I know how old fashioned it sounds when I say that, you know, we need a party that looks a lot more like George Herbert Walker Bush, who, you know, believed in public service, who believed in decency and kindness to people. When I worked in the administration, if you were caught being a dick to somebody, literally, if you were caught being rude to somebody in a restaurant, you were going to get fired. Mm. They expected a, a standard of behavior. The party is not that anymore. We need a center-right party in this country. Um, or 
what will happen is the right will become defined merely by authoritarianism and statism, which is what's happening now inside the Republican Party, because it doesn't believe in anything now. It believes in the maximum use of government. It believes in using the state power to punish your political enemies. Um, it believes in the, that the law only applies to the people that, that are lesser than you in some social status. And so I, I think we need that party. I don't think it's ever going to be the Republican Party. I think that I think it has poisoned itself to a degree that it, it, it is very difficult to see how it recovers. Um, and even the people that are right now who say, oh, I oppose Trump, I want to save the Republican Party. When you ask them if Trump's the nominee, are you going to vote for him? They say, yeah, of course I am. Mm -hmm. Because that's that's a bridge too far for party loyalty alone. When 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 this country, I, I like I said, I really believe we need a dynamic between the parties. We need a, we need ideas competing again. Because look, I'd love to go back to the era where we fight about what should the top marginal tax rate be? Thirty-eight point five percent or thirty-eight point two percent? You know those sort of fights. Mm -hmm. How many parts per billion of carbon should be in the atmosphere? Is it four hundred two or is it three sixty-one? Mm -hmm. You know those kind of fights. Mm -hmm. That's what a mature country fights about. That's what a, that's what a country that gives a shit about things fights about. You have debates and discussions, and you and you wrestle through difficult questions. But right now, the Republican Party is in this post-policy era where it just believes in power. And it just believes in authority and it just believes in control. And and I don't see that. That's not a Republican Party that I would recognize and, and certainly not one that I would go back to, even if Trump, you know, got eaten by wolves tomorrow. <laughs> I mean and, and nothing's gonna break them of that still, not even if he goes to prison, nothing. It doesn't matter. No, it really no, doesn't no. matter. And they'll have a more. And I I was raised by a lifelong Republican immigrant actually, but who I <laughs> became a Democrat during W's administration, but that's a whole other story. But my dad and I had these debates all the time about, you know, different policy issues. Right. And that was where I cut my teeth and all of this. And sure. because you could, you could have those conversations and you can't anymore. But unless, you, you know, you, you want to take your brain out, but on the table for a little while, and start mumbling about gas stoves. That's right. it. <laughs> so I, I know we're short on time. I'm just going to just going to ram through the rapid fire random question round that I end all of my interviews with. So if you're game for a. A quick three-question, rapid-fire, random question round. This is my personal favorite. Okay, here we go. What is your most unpopular food opinion? My most unpopular food opinion? Oh, boy. <laughs> I fucking hate cottage cheese in any form. Cottage cheese? Oh, my God. This is My fiance and I had this fight all that. She's like, no, it's still... I'm like, no, stop. I like cheeses of every... Like, It's like the one food that I go about. That's my unpopular food opinion. It's a good one. I don't like ketchup. But they call your cellulite cottage cheese for a reason. It's not supposed to be as something you want in your mouth. So I'm just going to say that. Not, not that there's anything wrong with cellulite to all the people who have cellulite. Have cellulite. <laughs> Moving on. I'm sure the cellulite people are going to be like, she has cellulite. Oh, my God. Cancel her. Anyway, it's question two. You have, these are very, very high-brought questions. You have two months. You're going to be on an island for two months alone, but you have all the devices, et cetera, et cetera. And you get to bring, there's shelter and well, food and water. You get to bring mm -hmm. one luxury item, Rick Wilson, one luxury item. What are you bringing for two months alone? Two not months alone. Two months alone, not a device. Um, I'm bringing books. I mean, that's yeah. just it. I'm bringing books. That's, that's, I, I. I live in a house with a lot with more library space in it than than 
it's shocking how many books I have around this place, and it's and, and a little <laughs> maddening sometimes. That's a good thing. I have a lot of books, but I have, to, I have a lot of books I have to read. Um, so question three, the last question. By the way, I'm Jersey, so I'm bringing my makeup bag because you know that's how we roll. So anyway, definitely <laughs> bring my makeup bag. You got to look good. Two months on an island with no makeup. What are you talking about? Sunscreen. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that's true, too. Okay, question three, last question. How long do you think you'd survive a zombie apocalypse? A long, 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 <laughs> I knew you'd say long, that. long damn time. I knew you'd I'd survive a long time. <laughs> I am, I am, as much as I spend uh, a remarkable amount of my time talking on television these days, people don't understand I'm a fifth generation Floridian. I was raised in the woods. I was raised feral. I was raised wild. I I I would I would last a long time. I got I give myself three hours and I think I'm being generous. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, thank you for answering those questions. It's always my favorite part. It's so revealing. <laughs> so well, that concludes the rapid fire random question round. Rick Wilson, anything you want to promote? Anything you got going on that you want to share? Well, with? you can listen to my podcast at the Enemies List, and uh, you can catch me every other Thursday on the Breakdown live streaming on YouTube from Lincoln Project, and uh, I'm on Twitter and Threads and Instagram at the Rick Wilson. I love it. Thank you, All everybody. Right. Go check that out. And 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 I want to thank you again. You gave me the best piece of social media advice I've ever gotten. Every now and then, you got to bop a troll in the nose. And right. just let them know. And that is what I do. That's time. right. Once so in a while, they're on the fuck off. That's right. And I love it. And I'm a master bopper. And I don't mean that for Jordan. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Rick Wilson. Anytime. We'll talk to you soon. Talk to you soon. Thanks for joining me. And if you are listening to the Are You Effing Kidding Me podcast, make sure to subscribe and leave a five-star review. And if you're watching on YouTube, please like and subscribe below. Are You Effing Kidding Me? is a production of the Political Voices Network. Please visit us at politicalvoicesnetwork.com.